We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Plenty of NBA playoff action still to bet on. Uh, we got the NBA, or not the NBA draft, the NFL draft kicking off in Las Vegas on Thursday night. One of the best nights of the entire sports calendar. We got three NBA games for some reason, Alex, uh, scheduled for Thursday night. And had the Atlanta Hawks been able to pull the upset uh, against the Miami Heat last night, they too would also be playing on Thursday night. So I, I feel like we've, we've been having like minor complaints about the NBA schedule all season long. Um, why they potentially had four first round NBA playoff games the night of the NFL draft uh, is beyond me, but looking forward to previewing those games. Uh, I want to start with a little bit of a recap from last night Uh, off air. We unanimously agreed to not really talk about the Hawks heat series, which was just kind of a slow bleed out for Atlanta, kind of a bizarre series for Trey young Uh, almost felt like Miami was like resting starters by the end of it. They they kind of knew where things were headed, Uh, but we had two, two more consequential games in the later window last night, Minnesota, Memphis uh, and new Orleans, Phoenix, I want to start with Minnesota and Memphis. Really fun game, uh, essentially controlled by Minnesota throughout. You know, they led at the end of the first, they led at the end of the second, they went on a run and extended that lead to double digits heading into the fourth. And as we've seen from Minnesota multiple times in these playoffs, uh, you know, they, they blew 20, two 20 point leads in, in one separate or in one single game in this series. Uh, they were in control. You know, Carl Anthony Towns uh, hit that three to silence the crowd with I think about two minutes left in the game, it looked like Minnesota was in control. And yet again, uh, you know, couldn't get buckets late. And, and Memphis was the team that uh, after Minnesota had a, a fantastic ATO to tie this game up uh, on an Anthony Edwards three, we saw an even better ATO from Taylor Jenkins to, to get John Morant free uh, for what was essentially like a two on one uh, and, and a close to buzzer beating layup. Yeah. I mean, from the very end of this game, some things that stand out to me, D'Angelo Russell takes, a terrible jump shot um, awful. coming down. Awful. awful jump shot. And uh, the first thing I'm thinking after he takes that jump shot is, do the Timberwolves have a timeout? Because I know how much Chris Finch hates taking timeouts. Mm-hmm. And it turns out they did. They did have a timeout available uh, to for that, like what could have been, I guess, sort of like uh, a, I, I, they got bailed out by Anthony Edwards making that three because that D'Angelo Russell, like 14 foot jumper was so stupid, terrible decision. Finn should have called a timeout. I understand that he's like, Oh, I don't want their defense to get set. But I, <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, I think you got to take a timeout there. And then on that play that uh, John Morant gets free on the, on the inbounds pass for a layup to win the game. Anthony Edwards makes like an, a horrible gamble. And tries to go for this like wraparound steal, giving John Morant a huge runway to the basket. 
So that was awful as well. Like, why not just play that conservatively? Um, just really like two, you know, two really bad decisions. One by one by a coach and a player, another one just by a player for Minnesota to to kind of lose this game. Yeah, I had a lot of the same in my notes from the fourth quarter. Um, you know, like on the Edwards three, initially I thought like, how do you lose it? You know, it looked like it was maybe Brandon Clark's fault and John Morant certainly thought so. He was kind of barking at Brandon Clark heading back to the timeout, but that was just a really, really nice play, you know, kind of a series of screens on the wing. And I thought Brandon Clark played it about as well as he could because he had to show, um, you know, I, I thought if anything, Morant was maybe at fault a little bit for, um, kind of switch, it looked like he switched on the fly. It was unclear if, if they had communicated that beforehand, but I thought it was still a pretty good job by Clark. You know, he's a half step late, but you know, to recover and still challenge that shot. Like, it, I mean, part of it was Anthony Edwards just being a crazy good athlete. He has a really high kind of over the head release that you're not going to block, but I, I thought it was a pretty good recovery and a pretty tough shot uh, in the end by Edwards. And then, yeah, like you said, I, I, the one thing I love about Anthony Edwards is he's not going to, he's not going to mince words in the press conference. He was like, yeah, I went for the steal. Probably shouldn't have onto the next one you know and he's like it, it was it was a really bad decision he was trailing Morant uh but I think a lot of credit too goes to Dylan Brooks for the placement of that pass because I, I don't know if that was the the idea necessarily or if, if he saw that Anthony Edwards was kind of overplaying John Morant um to I guess like the backcourt side and he put it in there perfectly almost like leading a receiver and just kind of let Morant catch it on the go I, I did think it was funny though that uh, uh, like the Grizzlies threw how many just like ridiculous reckless alley-oops especially late in that game uh, like Brand had a pretty wide open alley-oop to, I, I think it was Bain. Uh, could be wrong on that. Uh, on the other side, it, you know, kind of created that two-on-one and he decided to keep it. And because he's a super athlete with gadget arms, you know, was able to, to kind of lay it around the defender with the left. But I almost thought of all the ones to pass up on, the alley-oop there might have actually been the easier play. Yeah, it may have been. Um, I just figure at that point, he's probably like scared to continue, like try to make that pass. Like if you, yeah. if you try to make that pass and it gets intercepted or tipped or the guy misses the oop. I feel like that's, that's going to be worse than like you trying to make this late, like semi contested layup. Right. Right. I mean, still a a hell of a close by Morant. I think he had the final 13 for Memphis uh, after Patrick Beverly, uh, I I guess posted him up and and gave him the, you know, too small sign. And then Patrick Beverly like immediately followed out after that. Uh, we saw Towns shushing the crowd after his three with like, I think it was 146 remaining. Uh, you know, it was just, it was a very Timberwolves loss, especially with how the, the rest of the series has gone. 22 turnovers. Um, they had a possession late in this game where they inbounded to Towns. And they never showed the replay because I, I, I thought it almost was a kick. Like it was just such a crazy turnover. Um, and it led to, ended up leading to a fast break for Memphis. Um, did, did this feel to you like Memphis stormed back at home and stole this game? Or did it feel like Minnesota should have won and just could not execute when it needed to? Uh, I mean, well, I, th- I do think that John Morant dunk um, was that to close the third quarter. I yes. kind of brought the brought the crowd back to life. It was like really quiet in there. You could feel like the tone. Uh, things were things were pretty uh, bad in there, and then Morant had this insane dunk, and then I think that kind of brought them to life, the crowd and the team. So I think that that in a way helped swing the momentum for the Grizzlies, but. I, Again, I think the I think the Grizzlies choked this one uh, with those final plays. The Russell terrible jumper with Chris uh, with Finch not calling a timeout, and then the the Edwards gamble. Um, and I thought, you know, Anthony Edwards had a, a good game. I mean, it was it was fine. Um, he was kind of invisible for long stretches. I know he was in foul trouble, but he was taking some like pretty ill advised threes late in the game that. You know, the, the Timberwolves had been having no issues all game getting the ball in the paint. Like, that seemed like to be their game plan. Like, get the ball in the paint. Get the ball with both your feet in the paint and then figure something out from there. And then towards the end of the game, all of a sudden, Anthony Edwards comes back in from having these five fouls and just starts chucking up three-pointers. And I felt like that kind of went against what was making Minnesota successful t- during the middle portion of the game. Yeah, and they had multiple opportunities, I thought, to close this out. Um, yeah, Edwards was not not great other than that corner three down the stretch. Uh, I, I thought Tyus Jones had some really shaky plays uh, by Memphis. Like Brandon Clark, his energy, you know, just basically going in, like not even trying to get rebounds, just going in, flinging his arm, trying to tip it out. Uh, that bailed Memphis out a couple of times. I think that's what led to the big Morant three uh, late in the fourth quarter. He was fantastic. But yet again, we had another game that was completely marred by foul trouble. And, and, and some of the calls were you know, were, were reasonable. Um, other of them, I, I think 
you know, in a series like this, like you almost would like for the refs to kind of see how things are going and, and back off a little bit because you got, I mean, Beverly followed out, Jaron Jackson followed out in 18 minutes, which is preposterous. <laughs> Towns was in foul trouble. Edwards is in foul trouble. Um, I don't know this whole, this whole series. And I tweeted this, it just felt like one long play in game. Like I, I, I wouldn't say I've like lost respect for Memphis, but look, there's a reason that the golden state warriors are now installed as you know, the heavy favorites to win the title. They're three to one right now. And they were actually plus two sixty yesterday. So that number has come down a little bit. Part of that, of course, is the Booker injury uh, in Phoenix. But part of it is, I, I don't think we look at, you know, this Memphis golden state showdown the same way that we would have coming into the playoffs. Right. Where to me, that was, kind of a 50-50 series. You know, I, I think I thought Memphis would beat Minnesota in five games. And, with you know, you have to remember at the time, we didn't know what Stephen Curry was going to look like. Uh, you know, Curry, Draymond, Clay had barely played together. Um, so, like, the Warriors have looked fantastic. And I think Memphis is probably going to win the series. But, I mean, I, what, do you, what do you think the series money line ends up being for a Warriors-Grizzlies conference semifinals? I mean, is that Warriors, like, minus 300, minus 350 at this point? It might be... Yeah, and as far as like the sloppiness of this series, I feel like it's a bad sign that both these like both these teams are they seem like very nervous or yes. like weirdly excited to like play and it they just keep just it's a lot of guys just flinging their bodies at the basket on both ends of the floor and just like hoping for the best. Um so I don't think it's a great sign that the the Grizzlies are kind of just like not they're not able to close this out with confidence. Um, and they've gotten bailed out. It feels like more than they've like persevered, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, in terms of like handicapping the next series, I would just, I can't even, I, at this point, I just can't imagine the Grizzlies winning that series. I don't know what would have to happen to them right. internally for them to compete against what we're watching from the Warriors, which is just like a total evisceration of the, of the nuggets. Does it feel to you watching this series at all that they've lost that kind of crazy, almost reckless level of confidence that it seemed like they built during the regular season and especially during that period when Morant was out and it was kind of a take all challengers. We're just going to beat you. Like it feels like to me, that's that kind of evaporated when they lost game one and they've been, they've been kind of fighting to get that back. I think so. And I think some of this is also, I mean, I've talked about this on, we, I mean, I think both of us have talked about this in the podcast before. And I've brought it up in different contexts of like, I think early in the year trying to project how good the, the Grizzlies would be. It's like, you know, outside of Morant, who, I mean, how good are these guys really? Like, I, I know Bain has played really well. Like, we all love Desmond Bain. And, but, like, how good is this team actually? You know, like, if Desmond Bain is your second best player, and Morant is an emerging superstar, but is not, like, Jason Tatum. You know what I mean? Like, we, you and I had the conversation, like, a few months ago, would you rather have Tatum or Morant going forward? And I think both of us just still settled on, like, Tatum. Oh yeah, um, and so I think this is almost making me wonder, making me think about that take again, where it's like, well, if Desmond Bain's your second best player, Jaron Jackson's supposed to be your third best player, but he can't play more than twenty five minutes without fouling out, and then you're down to like Dylan Brooks as your number three guy already. Like, what really is that team? It's still a good team. It's just not, you know. And part of it is the West is just weirdly down this year. You know, like two of the teams that normally I think most people would say would be competing for the title, the LA teams, you know, both those teams were, were big time busts for, for two very different reasons. So I, I think it, it's like, part of this is like Memphis, not that they don't deserve to be the two seed. Obviously they won, they won those games. They they're better than any team in the East. I get all that, but I, I just think a team of, of this caliber, that's this unproven typically doesn't finish second in the conference. You know, like I, I think if they were the four seed or the five seed, we would be like, yeah, they're playing as we expected. But I think because you see that little two, next to the team, you like, you kind of automatically assume a little more of that team. And, you know, this, this team is, is the two seed earn the right to be the two seed, but is not your typical, you know, they, they don't have the strength I think of a typical two seed. And, and when you're watching this game in the fourth quarter, it's like, all right, you're closing with you know, like Brandon Clark played 37 minutes in this game and Morant and Bain played 45 minutes. You know, like I like Dylan Brooks. He was three of 18. He was terrible in this game. Didn't give them anything. And, you know, their starting center all year is picking up DMPs. Yeah. Um, you know, Xavier Tillman is starting at center. Who's like an okay second rounder. And like you said, you're the guy who I think coming into this year, most people would have said was for sure. Your second best player is currently averaging 21 minutes per game in the series because he's picking up five fouls in four minutes, every single game. Right. Yeah. There's, there's just, I think some things kind of fundamentally falling apart here for the Grizzlies. And like, I, I mean, I still think they're going to win the series, 
but it is kind of hard to imagine them. I mean, losing in the first round, which is still possible. Like if they could, the the way that I think Minnesota has kind of handed them <laughs> these two wins. I mean, this series could basically be over by now, right? I, right. Um, it's it's concerning. It's just hard to imagine. I think Grizzlies are both top five in offense and defense. Um, so yeah. like it's it's hard to imagine a team like that losing in the first round, even if it's a bad matchup, quote unquote. Um, right. Just shocking. Yeah, that's the thing. Minnesota's talented, and if you want to, you know, if you really are like a diehard Grizzlies fan, and you want to say like this is just a weird matchup for us, whatever it is about the Timberwolves, they play us well. You know, we'll throw that one out. Okay, well, the Warriors are who you're playing next. So <laughs> you think that's going to be a better matchup? You know, like if you if you had Utah or Dallas in round two, and you want to say like I, I think we just match up better against those teams. Sure, I, I'm I'm willing to have that conversation. But if you're struggling and the the, the Minnesota Timberwolves are taking you to six or seven games. It's not going to get any easier against this Golden State team. No, and I, it's, you know, Jaws having a bad series. Um, I, Jaws passing fine, but 22 points. I mean, Desmond Baines leading the team in scoring. So, you yeah. know, I just, <laughs> that's a bad sign. Um, yeah, I think, I think the Warriors are going to make them look pretty bad, assuming the Grizzlies even make it past this first round again, which I think they will, but, um, yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, well, let's move on to the late game. New Orleans Phoenix last night. I, I, I had high hopes that New Orleans could pull this upset just, just for fun. I, I don't root against Phoenix. In fact, I, I think it's actually probably better for the playoffs that Phoenix wins the series, gets Devin Booker back, um, yeah. and, and things kind of pick up where we left off in round two. But uh, much, much better effort from the Suns in this game. Came out strong, you know, pushing the ball up and down the court. McCall Bridges had easily his best game of the series. Uh, still didn't shoot the ball all that well as a team. I mean, they were 10 of 27 from three, uh, but were, were helped – greatly by, by New Orleans going five of 25 from beyond the arc, turning it over 15 times. Uh, Brandon Ingram was okay in this one. He had five of those turnovers. CJ McCollum really struggled seven of 22, one of eight from three. Um, I mean, simply put without Devin Booker, uh, you know, even without Devin Booker on the other side, like if McCollum and Ingram are combining to go 14 of 41 from the field, like the Pelicans aren't winning any games. No, I thought, I thought Ingram did. And I mean, He's been making really tough shots all series. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so and McCollum, McCollum was firing pretty early in, in the shot clock sometimes. I thought he was taking some like nonsense shots without really running the offense. I guess the argument 
Uh, the argument for that is who else on this team besides him or Brandon Ingram is really going to do anything with the basketball um, that isn't like a cut or a defensive breakdown by the Suns or anything like that. Valanciunas continues to be going in the offensive class, you know, uh, puts in layups and stuff like that, will occasionally hit a jumper. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, the, main, I, the main takeaway from this game, I guess, is it felt pretty competitive throughout a lot of it. I mean, the Pelicans were still making a, making it a game kind of in the fourth quarter. Um, and considering how bad they shot, the fact that it was a game, um, while they shot so poorly and the Suns only committed nine turnovers, you have to feel good going back to New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> how do you feel about the Alvarado uh, on Chris Paul strategy? Because I felt like he didn't actually play enough. Like whenever, whenever Alvarado was not out there, I'm like, they got to get this guy back in the game. Like, I don't care who, like, I'll get, you got Sit Jackson, Hayes, Nance, I, whoever. Cause he was, you know, I'm not saying he's not shutting down Chris Paul, but he's making Chris Paul work a lot. And yeah. he was getting tons of steals, making hustle plays. Uh, he was, he was awesome. Yeah. He, I mean, he was even better. I, I think you could argue um, on that last game in New Orleans in game four, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I, I think you kind of need something. You need some sort of agitation, you know, to to win a series like this when you're the, a massive underdog like New Orleans. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I think I would play him more. I guess I, I would. I would not play Devontae Graham at all if I was the Pelicans. He, he <laughs> Najee Marshall. Yeah. Well, I Najee Marshall at least gave him something. I mean, Devontae Graham, man. I, he's. I've come to the conclusion that like he is in the Kevin Porter zone of like you can't win with these guys. Like he's like one of the most damaging players yeah. in the league and, and credit to him. He's, you know, he basically got kicked out of the starting lineup when they got McCollum, his minutes have been slashed and he's still like, you know, up on the bench cheering like crazy the whole game. But like, I don't even know if you can get away with 12 minutes of Devontae Graham. They were minus seven in his 12 minutes last night. Um, and, and, you know, Alvarado, it, it, I, I think it's a little more of like a, like peskiness with him. You know, it's not like he's quote unquote shutting down Chris Paul. It's like he's six foot one seventy. Um, he can only really do so much, but like you said, he makes Chris Paul in the back of Chris Paul's mind when he's receiving the mindless inbounds pass after a make, like you have to have your head on a swivel. Like, where's this guy? Where's this guy? And you could tell it bothered Chris Paul in games three and four in new Orleans. And, you know, it led to him committing a hard foul. He got a flag in. Um, and Chris Paul yeah. kind of has a history of things like that, but you know, you would think somebody of Chris Paul's stature in the league would, would kind of be able to block out somebody like Alvarado and he wasn't able to. So yeah, I think if you're if you're Willie Green and you're the Pelicans, it's it's kind of like a it's kind of like a lame thing to do. It's like you never want to have to resort to like a gimmicky type of thing like that, but well, you don't really have a lot of other options. Yeah, I mean, I you know, we don't have to get like too deep in the weeds with this, but how often I mean, how often does Chris Paul have to deal with a guy that's shorter than him? That's like really pesky. You know what I mean? Like whenever you envision Chris Paul uh kind of dominating a, a possession, at least like that results in a bucket. Uh, it's him just like crossing over some huge guy or some guy who's like six foot seven or six foot eight that like cannot keep up with his quickness. There's not a lot of guys in the NBA who are shorter than Chris Paul and are also good enough on defense to be like in a competitive basketball game. And so I think he's just not used to it. Um, you know, so I, I think that's, yeah. I mean, if I were, if I was the Pelicans, I would just, you know, give those 12 Devontae Graham minutes to Alvarado and have Alvarado play 32 minutes. And I understand if like, he's so, I mean, maybe it's the case that Alvarado's those 20 minutes, like he's so gassed after that because he really is like all over the place. Like, just, yeah. no, he's trying a hundred percent. So if he can't play more than 20, 25 minutes, I get that. But I think you got to at least try. All right. So let's do a quick reset uh, on a couple other series. We, we got Bulls and, and Bucks game five tonight. We got Denver Golden State game five tonight. I mean, is there anything of real intrigue with either of these? Or are these going to be just kind of put us out of our misery games? I think they're pretty much going to be put us out of our misery games. Um, Chicago's offense is already was already falling apart, and now is going to be missing Levine and Caruso. Um, you know, I guess it's possible they have some sort of a weird bounce back, and the Bucks kind of regress after two great games without Middleton. That's on the table. Uh, as far as the Warriors go, I really expect the Warriors to close this out uh, tonight. I know they might start the their new quote unquote death lineup kind of remains to be seen. Um, I think they're just going to close it out at, at Golden State. I'm kind of interested at least to see like what Jokic has to offer in this elimination scenario. Like 
is he just going to because he's he's combined for I think he's 37 points in each of the past two or 35 and 37 mm-hmm. each of the past two games. I kind of wonder if he's going to be like going out with just like I'm I just got to take all these shots, you know. Like, is this just going to be a game we see from him where he's like, I cannot trust these guys in my team. I'm going to continue taking, like, I'm going to take, like, 30 shots this game and just go out that way. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that from other superstars, right? I mean, Jokic has kind of seemed resistant to playing that style of basketball. You know, the last couple of years, they've been content to go down swinging. But I don't know. He had a couple games, like, against Portland in the playoffs last year. He took 31 shots um, in, I think that was game six or game seven. Um, but you know, I mean, he's, he's certainly capable of doing it if he wants to, it's just a matter of like, if you're the nuggets, I, I think you see the writing on the wall at this point. I, I do think it's funny. You brought up the Steve Kerr uh, and I, I saw you quote tweeted this, uh, the language on that was hilarious. Like, you know, they're still thinking about it and we, he will decide before the game who he's going to start. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for that one champs. But like, is there, has there ever been another team that is like, all right, this is clearly our best lineup. I don't know if we should use it. Like Golden State has been doing this for like years now. Like they wouldn't start the death lineup. They would save it for these little spurts. Like what other team has a clearly best lineup that it is like so scared to use? Like it, the way that they talk about it is like Steve Kerr like doesn't want to, you know, mess anything up. It's like this lineup is too powerful. Uh, well, the Lakers were kind of doing that with Anthony Davis at power forward, right? I guess, but that was more like they were just trying to like appease Anthony Davis because he didn't want to play second. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause that's, that's different than what this golden state situation is, yeah. which is just like, we want Kevin Looney to rack up like four fouls on, uh, on, you know, Jokic before we actually start playing, which is a very bizarre, like, who cares? Like what? Yeah. I don't know, man. Um, yeah. I, I can't think of another uh, team that does that or would do that. I, I do love the idea though. And I, I mean, I think pool has kind of graduated to the point where, you feel really comfortable with him in that role. Um, I mean, there, it, there's potentially a case to be made that this would be, I would say even, even more dangerous than the original, like pre Kevin Durant death lineup. I don't think we're ever going to reach the Durant level, but um, I mean, at this point, like there, there's an argument to be made that pool is as good, if not better than Clay Thompson, right. Or at least this current version of Clay Thompson. Yeah. I mean, well, they're, they're different in the sense that like you would never, you don't really want to ever ISO Clay Thompson. No. So it depends on what you need, right? Like if you need, yeah. if you need a, if you quote unquote need a bucket, Jordan Poole, probably a better option than Clay Thompson, but I'm not going to trust Jordan Poole over Clay Thompson to like catch an open, mm-hmm. to catch a pass off a screen and just pull up from three. Yeah. All right. Let's talk uh, Philly, Toronto. I, I have nothing to say about Milwaukee. Um, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge in a few days, you know, once that series is over and we, we hopefully get some sort of news on, on when Chris Middleton might make his way back, but obviously things, uh, kind of breaking Boston's way with that potential matchup and Middleton unlikely to be available for round two. But we, we need to talk about Philly-Toronto tomorrow night, which unfortunately is going up against the NBA draft. This game is inexplicably the NBA TV game tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> Phoenix-New Orleans is getting the TNT slot, uh, and then Dallas and Utah gets the late game. But I, I would say this is, so far, probably the most anticipated game of the playoffs for me. Yeah, this um, this is getting a little alarming in terms of the 76ers not being able to close this series out with like Barnes was out. Van Vliet's probably not going to play again. Like if you can't get this done, like what, like how is this happening? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's happening in the same way that I think everybody kind of joked that it could happen. Right. Where it's like, if, if ever there was going to be a, a coach who could blow a three Oh lead to an inferior team, it would be doc rivers. If ever there was a player who could lead that charge, it would be James Harden. <laughs> And we needed some sort of catalyst because Philly looked really good early in the series, even with Harden not giving them a ton. They were dominating and Toronto's falling apart. You got guys who are sick. You got, you know, Scotty Barnes is injured. Fred Van Vliet's probably not even going to play in this next game. Um, And it looked like everything was moving in Philly's direction. And then the Embiid injury happens. And, you know, I I think if if they do find a way to blow this, I mean, I'm not saying the jokes aren't going to fly because they are, but it is like a fairly legitimate excuse. It's like, hey, our best player tore a tendon in his right. shooting hand. Like this is, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, but Embiid is playing through it. He's played almost 80 minutes the last two games. He's probably going to play 40 minutes again tomorrow night. Um, so as long as he's out there, there's not going to be any excuses. And man, I mean, the, the series is not over, obviously, if they lose tomorrow night. But is there, like, outside of Philly, is there anyone who's going to be rooting for the Sixers? I, I don't think so. 
No, no, I don't think so. Other than the people who, you know, kind of want to root for Joel Embiid, I think. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, at this point, it's the series is, is pretty close to even in terms of like, yes, Philly is shooting the ball better and they're getting more free throws, but the offensive rebounding is pretty even, which is kind of alarming. Like the fact that Toronto is pacing you in offensive rebounding when you have like all this size and they have none, that's bad. And, you know, Toronto just doesn't uh, commit any turnovers, which is good. But there's no reason that like you, I think you can make the argument that Pascal Siakam has been the best player in this series. And for no, that should that should never even have been a discussion, whether or not Pascal Siakam, because you have Harden. You, I mean, obviously Embiid would be the favorite there, but um, even Maxi or Harden, even though people are down on Harden, um, it's you know, and you're getting. I mean, you're still getting like some great performance. Like Maxi's still playing out of his mind. You know, Tobias Harris is shooting forty six percent from three, and you figure if those two things were going to happen, that there's no way this series would even be close. Mm-hmm. So um, that kind of just speaks to some of Embiid's struggles from the field and from three. I mean, he's not really doing anything uh, from yeah. three. And then Harden, you know, Harden also shooting 37% from the field is just is just awful. Although he's not really, he's not turning the ball over. I think we have to give Harden credit at least for, you know, 46 assists, 18 turnovers. That's yeah. pretty good. Small victories at this point. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how this is going to go. I mean, it, I don't, I certainly don't trust Philly, but they should still win. I mean, not having Van Vliet is huge, although it didn't seem to matter whatsoever oh, right. in game five. Like, it's not like they, you know, it's not like the Raptors hit 25 threes and just, you know, had the super lucky win. Like, they dominated that game from start to finish. Like, that crowd was silent the entire second half. Um, the line is, is only Philly minus one and a half tomorrow night. I, I was, I was telling James, like, if, if Philly finds a way to lose at Toronto, on Thursday and we go back to Philly for a game seven, like it would be super funny if the sports folks were just like, all right, we're setting the line at Raptors minus 12. Like we're not falling. For this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They got to get ahead of the, they got to get ahead <laughs> of the curve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just, I mean, I hope we get that game seven like that. That has all time, like top five NBA Twitter comedy type of potential. Yeah. I would have, to, I would be glued to the TV for that. There's no way. I mean, that would, uh, yeah, there's no way I can't even, I'm I'm genuinely worried for the the actual infrastructure of Philadelphia if that if that yeah. game is a loss. Um, there may have to be like an emergency, like a state of emergency, put out uh, preemptively for the uh, projected end time of that game. But uh, <laughs> it would be exciting. That would be Saturday night, I believe. If I if I'm reading the the uh, ESPN.com schedule correctly, so and maybe <laughs> mark safe. that one down. Yeah, seriously. Um, all right, let's talk about some of the composite rankings that you and I have been working on for a while. We're looking ahead to 2022-23 fantasy basketball. Uh, so a lot, of, a fair amount of projecting being done here. Um, you know, we're, we're going to kind of incorporate some of the rookies where we think they could fall. Uh, but we, we had a lot of fun putting these together, and there's going to be a full article and rankings up on the site within the next couple of days where we're just working on some analysis portion. Uh, but we have, we have the hard data in there, and this is by far the, the most time-consuming and, and kind of difficult part to compile. So I just want to jump around and talk about the guys who we are the most different on. And, and it should be noted, we used a kind of rankings generator. So you, you do player versus player and you just select, you know, one of the two who you would draft first. And it does, do you know how many comparisons it was like hundreds, 800, 800, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So you're doing 800 comparisons and you know, it essentially puts it into some giant equation that says, if you like this player better than this player, then that means this player is below this player. Um, so it, you know, we're not like doing these by hand. So there's a, a few that, you know, we maybe we'll have to go in and manually adjust if it doesn't come out, uh, exactly how we want. But I think for the most part, you know, we've used this in the past and it, it's been a pretty good representation. Um, and then we take the average of our two rankings to create the composite. Um, ideally, you know, we'd have some more sets of rankings, but I think this does a pretty good job of, of at least standardizing for some of the outliers. With that said, there are several players who we are, you know, 30 plus spots different on. Um, so we, we both have that sheet in front of us and I'll, I'll let you lead it off. You can, you know, nominate any number of players who you want to talk about. Well, uh, one guy we did talk about quickly before the podcast, or we mentioned was Chris Stapps Porzingis, who I had 37 and you had 83 that averages out to 60, which I, I think 60 is around where people will draft him. Um, but I think this is just this, like, he's, he's someone that's really tough to gauge due to like, 
obviously injuries like injuries play a huge factor here like if you are totally avoidant of injuries in general you're just not going to draft porzingis until like yes he gets to 83 if you are shooting for pure upside then yeah you draft porzingis around 37 uh because he finished 25th this year although he only played 51 games uh so that's like one guy who i think is sort of indicative of a lot of the differences on our list um and also the team context is different like you have bradley beal coming back uh and everything like that so uh he's he's someone that i I feel like is worth pointing out I'll throw out Zion just because he's yeah because he's Zion and people want to talk about him. I, I had him at 53. You have him at 35. He's somebody that I would definitely take above 53. I, you know, that, that this is one of those kind of casualties of, of how the ranking system spits things out. Um, you know, I should probably move him up a little bit. I think 35 is, is pretty indicative uh, of where he's going to end up. However, I feel like he wasn't going that much higher than 35 last year. And his stock has definitely diminished. And, you know, you and I were having this conversation around this time in 2021 to kind of try to remind people that like, yes, Zion is awesome. I know he played in a ton of games last year, but I, I think l- like last season, at least he was probably a more, more impactful real life player than a fantasy player, just because, you know, he's kind of a points rebounds guy. The assists started to come a little bit, but the defensive stats really didn't. Um, the field goal percentage is great. He was like top three contributor. If you just isolate field goal percentage, uh, but you know, free throw line, still a major issue. And, given everything that's happened in the last year, it's kind of hard for me to believe that a lot of those statistical shortcomings won't still be there. Yeah. He finished. So two years ago in 2020, 21, he finished as the 50th ranked player per game. So I'm jumping the gun a little bit at 35, although I am assuming some improvement, I guess there could be a slow start. Again, it's really tough to gauge considering yeah. what we've, you know, what he's gone through during this off season. Um, and how the team's changed, frankly, around him because now they've added. I mean, uh, Valanciunas is a relatively like high usage guy around the paint, uh, which is obviously where Zion likes to operate. You have McCollum coming in, uh, who's a high usage guy at, at, I guess, point guard for them now. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, is Point Zion going to continue being a thing? Because right now, I mean, you mentioned his rebounding; it's solid at seven point two, but he's more of like a two category contributor. Like he's a points and field goal percentage guy and mostly a field goal percentage guy. So um, I think people will draft him as high as uh, 35 where I have him ranked, but I think he is probably closer. I think the risk is probably more appropriate around like either your ranking of 53 or the composite ranking of 44, given what we saw from him last year, the risks, how the team has changed. And you mentioned it with Porzingis. I definitely tend to, be more cautious with those type of guys, you know, hence why I have Porzingis so much later. And I have Zion a little bit later. Like I, I, w- I would, I'm okay with, I guess, like being a year behind on, on some of those guys, because I, I think, I mean, if you take Zion like 28th overall, if you did that this past year, like you, you probably did not have any chance of winning your league. You know, I mean, you had to kind right. of hit on everything else for that to be the case. So like I'll, I'll happily take players like that if they fall into my lap, but I, I usually tend not to be too aggressive um, one, one note on Valanciunas, I, you and I have him one spot apart. I have met 59. You have met 58. Uh, I, I kind of tried to factor in the Zion return. Um, you know, this would be considerably lower than he's finished the last few seasons, two of those coming in Memphis. And then, I mean, he was 24th in total value this season, thanks in part to, to only missing eight games. But, um, you know, I think it, this early in the year, I think maybe some people will kind of forget to factor that in that it's, it's going to be almost impossible for him to keep up that kind of production especially as a rebounder, if he's playing next to Zion. I think so too. Um, some of it's going to depend on, are they going to have him shoot more threes? You know, cause he's been a really good three point shooter for the past three seasons. Like he is past three seasons. He's hitting again. He's only hitting half a three per game, but it's over three seasons and he's 37%. Yeah. So 41% I think there's a, this year. Yeah. So I, I think there's a chance we see Valanciunas shoot more threes, but yeah, I'd be a little worried about, the rebounding, especially offensive rebounding, because Val- uh, <laughs> Zion doesn't defensive rebound. I'll, I'll go a couple guys that I was higher on uh, than you were significantly. So Anyaka Kongwu, I have uh, 84 spots higher than you do. <laughs> so that's like almost like a full draft higher. Uh, that to me is just like projecting that you know they're, they're going to find a way to play him more. It almost felt like they really wanted to this year, and then Capella came yeah. back, and it never really came to fruition, but like that's, that's me like taking some liberties and saying that they're going to find a way, whether that means moving Capella or, 
I, I mean, he can't really play them together, I guess, but probably just means moving Capella. Um, I think they're going to find a way. I mean, he's going into his third year. I don't think you necessarily want him, you know, languishing in this like 15 minute a night role uh, for a third straight season. So, you know, that's one that's going to jump out for sure. Um, his composite rank came out to 142, which is probably about right. Um, obviously, I would take him higher. You'd maybe go a little lower. Um, let's see. I'm tr- trying to pick out. So, like, a lot of the names that we were way off on are role players who are very subjective. You know, like the Dorian Finney-Smiths, Alex Caruso's, Isaiah Stewart's of the world. Um, so, I'm trying to find somebody who's a little – Yeah, and, and – Has a little and more like, name value. And, like, team context obviously plays an important role here, too. Like, it – the, the Okongwu point's important because you have him 100th and I have him 184th, like you mentioned. He finished 146th this year playing 20 minutes. And for me, it was like, well, I just don't know about Capella. Like, yeah. if Capella gets moved or there's some sort of internal commitment like preseason, they're like, well, we really, we're going to start, we're going to actually start Okongwu this year. Well, then, yeah, I'm going to draft him closer to 100. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, I'm sure if they came out, they're like, no. You know, Capella's, Capella's fully healthy. He's going to play 35 minutes a game. It's like, well, you can't draft Okongwu 100. Uh, but I agree with you. It does seem like they're trending more towards wanting yeah. to take him. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's let's talk about the second-year guys. I, I had some trouble, you know, trying to place these guys because every year yeah. somebody, you know, some second-year player ends up finishing, like, top 20. But I didn't want to put Scotty Barnes over a lot of big names. And, and one thing, too, that kept striking me is we have so many – we have so many players who were busts or were injured this year, like big name guys who ended up finishing like, you know, well outside of the top 40 in total value and, and some of them in per game value, even um, that like bringing back Kawhi and Dame and Beal and Anthony Davis. Um, I'm sure there's others that I'm missing. Like there are so many of those guys who are like perennial top 15 to 20 guys that it, it kind of artificially pushes some guys back. Um, and when you, when you start to look at it, you know, you stack up the rankings it's like, would I really take Scotty Barnes over Devin Booker? Would I really take him over Donovan Mitchell? Uh, the answer is probably no. So I ended up moving him down a little bit. But I, it looks like I'm about 10 spots higher on Scotty Barnes, who I have at – this is bringing me to Harrison Barnes for some reason. 38. I have him at um, 38. And you have him at 50. Uh, similar spread on Cunningham. I think I'm about 10 spots higher on him. Um, any, any like real pushback there? I have Cunningham at 32. You have him at 42. Uh, or is that just you, you know, kind of leaning toward the more known commodity? That's just leaning towards the more known commodity. I mean, Scotty Barnes finished 70th this season. Yeah. Um, not that he can't jump up to 38th. I mean, that's, I think that's reasonable. I mean, given what we've seen from him and how important, um, he's been in the playoffs for them. Like I, I'm a Scotty Barnes believer. So some of this to me, like you mentioned, was just, uh, was just a casualty of like, well, I think Bradley Beal's going to have a better season. Well, I'm not, I'm not really going to take Scotty Barnes over like Kawhi. Um, yeah. You know, how do I feel about like Bam Adebayo or Gobert? You know, how good do I think Anthony Edwards is going to be? Uh, Barnes or Sabonis? Like those are those are just really tough questions. Um, so yeah, I just I he come draft season it could easily be like I tr- you know trend closer to like forty. So for reference, in my own rankings, I had him in the same area as like Brandon Ingram, John Morant, DeMar DeRozan, Miles Bridges, Desmond Bain, Jared Allen, um, Evan Mobley, Chris Middleton. You know, so he's kind of outside of that truly elite range. Uh, like I, I would take Sabonis over him every single time. There is there a chance that Barnes could explode and finish ahead of Sabonis? Yes, for sure. But I think like, you know, for sure, like if Sabonis plays 65 to 70 games, he's going to finish as a top 30 guy. Like that's definitely not a guarantee with Barnes. Right. Some of this is like floor versus ceiling. It's like, well, if I think Sabonis's floor is Scotty Barnes ceiling, I'm just going to take Sabonis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a few of the card guys. So James Wiseman at 119. I have about 142. <laughs> I mean, we haven't seen him play in forever. I, I have no idea really what to expect there. I mean, is, is, is 119 basically like I'll take him with the last pick in a draft and hope it turns out okay? Yeah, see, so yeah, a lot of my rankings were just like, if I'm choosing between, if I have the last pick of the draft, and it's like, well, you can have James Wiseman or Justin Holiday. It's like, listen, man, like, yeah. I, I'm just going to take Wiseman because, you know, most of the time, I would say most of the time, but a lot of times in drafts, if you're just like a standard 12 teamer, the last like four or five guys you pick, those guys are all, they swap them in and out of the waiver wire. They're on your bench all year. You're streaming them. So you may as well just go for upside. And at that point, it's like Wiseman's pedigree um, to me is enough. 
you know, he's going to get Looney's minutes, I think, at the very least, no matter how much Steve Kerr loves Looney. Um, yeah, I think they have some sort of organizational commitment to him, even though it may not seem yeah. like it. Plus, they, he could get traded. Again, you never know. So we're, we're projecting a lot of stuff yeah. here. So Ben Simmons, I had at 82. You have met 57. Uh, another somewhat similar situation of a guy that we just haven't seen in forever. I, I just, I don't like to me, 57, like looking at my personal rankings, that would be the same. And these are different from yours. So, you know, no judgment, but like in that same range are like Jamal Murray, Terry Rozier, John Collins, CJ McCollum, Julius Randall, Valanciunas, Maxi hero. Like to me, I would take, those guys are good enough and they're known enough as commodities that I would take them over the unknown that is Simmons, you know, like, even to be like, even if Ben Simmons like figures everything out mentally, his back is fine. I just don't know what kind of upside we're looking at for a guy that hasn't played in that long. Like this, this kind yeah. of goes back to what we talked about with the other injured players like Zion and Porzingis at some point, like he's not on my do not draft list. Like if he, if he's there at 85 and I'm picking between Ben Simmons and Bogdan Bogdanovich or Dylan Brooks, like, yeah, I'll, I'll probably take Ben Simmons there because there is enough upside. But to me, when you're talking about, you know, the fifth round, that that's still a little too early for how much risk there is. I think there is risk. Uh, some, I mean, some of this will come down to like what the noise is coming into preseason. Yeah. I mean, to, to be fair, his stock is at like an all time low right this moment as we're making these rankings. Right. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, the, the last season that he played, so two years ago, he was 66th per game which was his lowest, lowest rank of his career, right? Um, he averaged 14 points, seven rebounds, seven assists, and a steal and a half. To me, I it's hard for me to even imagine Ben Simmons not averaging 14, seven, and seven. Um, uh, even if, the, even if the, the nets are stacked, right? You put him in like, a, we're assuming they're going to start him at center. Um, you put him in this Draymond-type role, which everyone keeps saying, but hey, maybe it's the case. I mean, he's going to get, you know, six to eight points in transition. The the passing, he's going to be making open passes to to Durant and Kyrie. I you Maybe you have some concern about the free throw shooting. I mean, maybe he has some sort of mental block. He starts shooting like 40% from the free throw line. But um, again, I feel like he, I feel like last season was almost, I don't know. It's hard. For, it's still hard for me to imagine his statistical floor being like significantly lower than it was last year. Yeah, I mean, and even if he is a diminished version of his peak self, you know, there is enough diversity there in what he offers that it could kind of end up being a Draymond-like stat profile, um, you know, and, and probably with better field goal percentage than Draymond offers. Um, I, I think the, the ship has sailed at this point on any hope that he's going to become a three-point shooter. Like, that's yeah. now, like, the fifth most uh, worrisome <laughs> thing about Ben Simmons is that he can't shoot threes. Like, that now seems like a distant uh, problem. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's going to be one of the more difficult ones you know, I'm looking at some other players we're, we're differing on. You were way higher on Kevin Porter than me. We are 61 spots apart on him. That is just me, like, not trusting him. Um, he, sure. I mean, he turned it over a ton. Fair. Field goal percentage was bad. I don't even know that he's, you know, for sure going to hang on to that starting role. Like, I know he's young enough to be a part of the Rockets' core, but, you know, both him and Christian Wood, it's like, are these really the guys you want leading yourself into the next decade? Yeah, that one was – he came out a little higher in my own rankings than I thought he would. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, over the past few years, I've I've kind of shifted to where it's like once I get to that like sixth or seventh round, I'm just gonna start taking shots on guys who I know are high usage that are relatively young. Um, even if I think Jalen Green's gonna kind of take over for that team, um, Porter's still a high usage guy. He's still young. Um, finished 96 this year, so there's still room to grow there and. I, I don't know, man. I'm 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 fine with taking him at again. It, you know, if you're if you're looking around that seventy to eighty range, it's like, would you rather have Kevin Porter or like, you know, you're talking about like I, I don't know, you're you're bumping up against Tobias Harris, Josh Hart, Buddy Heald, maybe. Um, and I feel like if you're just if you're shooting for pure upside. I think I think I'm I'm still of the belief, and I think other people are too, that there is a chance Kevin Porter takes some sort of like, not maybe a huge leap, but like if he averaged eighteen and eight next year compared to sixteen and six, is that eight turnovers. Yeah, that, uh, maybe. Hey, eight, eight, eight times leaving the arena during the game. 
hey, we're playing eight cat. All right. Turnovers <laughs> don't count. Uh, yeah. If you're in a league where you get a bonus, if your player like departs the arena mid game, right. he's, he's probably the number one pick. Um, all right. I know you got to get out of here. You got to do video real quick. I'll just kind of, I'll read the composite top 12. Um, I, I think it looks pretty good to me, but tell me if you think there's one name that uh, we either omitted or somebody should be higher or lower. So it came out in order. Jokic, Curry, Tatum, Giannis, Harden, Trey Young, Towns, Durant, Doncic, Embiid, LeBron, Damian Lillard. I think here's what I will say. I think the hardest person in this in this top 12 to gauge is James Harden. I have no idea. Like I we both had him sixth. I don't really know what to do with him. Like part of me thinks that this year was some sort of weird fluke and he lost motivation and that he'll bounce back. The other part of me is like, well, he's still playing. He, he's, he can't shoot the ball in the playoffs. Like he's just not able to score against the Toronto Raptors. So he just can't score fi- efficiently. So I just have no idea what to do with him. Is he going to average 17 points a game next year? You know, maybe. Is it going to be on better efficiency? Who knows? I just have like no idea. I think his draft range, you know, I think come draft season, when we talk about ranges, these guys go. I think some people are going to draft hard in fourth. I, some people are going to be like, I'm going to get him 13th. Yeah. So it's going to, I think he's really tough to figure out. Yeah. I think he's tough. I think LeBron is tough because right. in years past, like the LeBron injury thing has become a narrative, but he also was had like, had like some pretty big holes in his fantasy profile. He's now like the most dominant statistical player in the league, but he also might <laughs> miss 20 games. Um, and you, obviously we're, we're not even factoring in, you know, he'll be in his 20th season, which almost seems like a footnote at this point. Like I, I, I remember talking with you like five years ago about like, is this the year LeBron finally drops off? And here we are. Like, I don't think it's going to be next year. Um, the one thing I will say is that none of the the guys who kind of broke through this year, um, it's a group of four guards, you know, DeJounte Murray, LaMelo Ball, Darius Garland, Tyrese Halliburton, all those guys made huge leaps. A couple of them finished first round value. It, it does seem like we were still a little more biased towards the guys who've done it, you know, for five to 10 years, as opposed to these guys who were really awesome last year, but you know, we, we kind of need to see them prove it again. A hundred percent. Like there is a very real chance that DeJounte Murray and LaMelo Ball finish over Damian Lillard. Could that could, I, I think that could easily happen. Uh, am I going to be the guy who banks on it happening? Probably not. Uh, but it's possible. All right, man. I know you got to get out of here, so I'll let you go on that note. Um, appreciate all the work on the composite and, and looking forward to getting this up on the site. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.